Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Joshua Garrity. Uh, Josh is one of the members of the Canaan Rinse podcast and just an all-around very excellent and intelligent dude. We have a delightful conversation about a whole variety of topics <laughs> before we even get into the Souls game. So bear with us while we, we finally make our way over there. Heads up to Josh was having some audio issues on his end, so there's a bit of a crackle for the first 20 minutes. And then after that, we seem to be having some internet issues. So it kind of sounds like he's cutting it out, but I think the whole podcast is still very, very listenable, even if it's just a little bit not to the quality that you would normally expect from me. So sorry about that. And thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the episode. so much for being on the show josh I, I really appreciate it this is kind of uh like i've been following you on twitter for a long time and i found canyon rents and like that podcast is it's kind of like a like a standard of podcasts like i'm a big duck feed fan and like following you know a lot of stuff that they do and modeling the, the way that i run this podcast on their stuff and then finding canyon rents and being like why did i ever start a gaming podcast when these guys are doing it perfectly <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't always that like as um i always tell people when they go back and I, I think i told you this as well um be wary going back into the earlier issues when we were not as practiced i i listened back to the resident evil 4 podcast which we did way back like five years ago now Mm -hmm. and i'm listening to myself and i'm going oh my god this guy has no (laughs) idea what he's doing um and i yeah and i've i've gone a lot better since then but it's just you know Whenever you listen to a podcast and you're thinking, wow, these guys are amazing, usually the answer is that they've just been doing it a long time and they were just as shit as you were back in the... Not that you're shit, sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way, but like, (laughs) uh, just that feeling is good because it means that you will be better. Exactly. That's that's a positive feeling that you're feeling because if you're going into podcasting or any, and this is true of anything, thinking I'm the dog's bollocks, I'm going to nail this, then you're going to produce crap. It's the people who are constantly like, ah, I could be better. I'm not as good as those guys. They're the the guys who are at the top of their game. And it's funny you going like, you know, talking about Kane. I I've been I felt like when when um I first discovered Bonfireside Chat and um Watch Out for Fireballs and and then hearing some of your stuff as well I was like man I wish I could have this kind of natural um you know conversational tone that you guys can have like I'm really jealous of Gary and Cole's ability to just talk like that and it flows so naturally and I know part of it's the editing, but I always feel like I come off as like dryly academic <laughs> and British, and it's um, and I, I do worry that I'm going to be really boring um, during Canaan Rinse episodes. Sorry, we're meant. To, I know we're recording, and we're meant to be talking about. Oh no, we, um, we can talk about now, but I've, yeah, this is... <laughs> I've gone off on uh, gone on gone off on one now. But yeah, what, my, one of my big fears um, as a podcaster is like, first of all, just sounding really um, boring. Um, you know, the most recent bonfire side chat um, uh, I recorded with Gary and Cole. I, I'm really intimidated 
by that um, microscopic analysis that those guys are capable of doing. I think Kane and Rince has kind of uh, trained my mind to think about um, game design and uh, uh, and story and stuff like that from a cert- trained to look at it at a certain perspective. So when those guys are deep diving on stuff and I'm I'm on the show with tied them. I was like, how the fuck do you guys do, <laughs> do this? And Gary, like at the end of the recording, apologized to me saying like, oh, I'm really sorry if I talked over you uh, mm-hmm. and didn't give you enough space to talk. And I was like, Gary, it's, it's not a problem. Like I spoke when I wanted to speak. I was just kind of <laughs> sitting back and going, how do these guys do? those two guys are like the most intimidating guys to podcast with um yeah and i've like i do a podcast with gary like i talk to that dude on a regular basis but um we recorded an episode of abject suffering a few weeks ago and like i feel like bonfire side chat is kind of like like it's it's kind of like i've done so many episodes now like i it's about my favorite game ever like it's like i got that down but like we recorded an abject suffering and that's more of their like free form improv comedy stuff and i was incredibly intimidated i was like there's no way i'm gonna be funny i can't yeah. keep up with these guys i'm pretty sure i ruined the skit at the beginning like this <laughs> skit was just terrible because of me so yeah it's I, I understand exactly what you mean but you know to flip that back on you though like uh listening to kane and rents and the listening to you guys talk about everything from kind of a bird's eye view and but still dissect like these very clear game design paradigms and these things that are in the games that you talk about. That's intimidating to me because I don't have like that scholarly approach to anything. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't go to college. Like I kind of got a job right out of high school and have been doing that all my life. So like approaching anything from that scholarly angle is, is super intimidating to me, like in a totally different way of just like, I'm not smart enough to do that. Like I've never had to write a term paper before when <laughs> that kind of feels like Kenny Rents kind of feels like writing a term paper, but in a very fun way, like I don't want to make it sound yeah. like it's a bad thing, but it takes that like approach of, okay, we have to be thorough. We're going to go through all of the things we want to talk about. We're going to have references. Like that's, that's, it's just really, really good. Thank it you. It speaks to to you guys' professionalism that it's that's that good. I, I mean, it, I should you know give credit where credit credits due. Um, a lot of that comes from Leon, um, the kind of head honcho. Um, he right from the word go, he was like, right, we're going to do our research. Anyone who's on this podcast will have had to have completed the game. Like he like one of our major rules. We've broken it a couple of times times but um i think it's really important that everyone completes the game because i do think um i do think completing a game does change your relationship with it um even if like not to the point where you're like um game all the way through and then suddenly the ending makes me love it like you no one has that dramatic a change of opinion uh based on completing a game but there's a sense of like knowing a whole piece um that comes from completing it that you don't get from playing an hour or two hours and going that was shit and then putting it putting it back on your shelf like um like uh, what what was a recent example um this isn't a recent example but it's the most famous one like uh the, the most one for me is um i was on the i am alive podcast um now and now unfortunately Unfortunately, I didn't like that game, but I saw it through. I completed it, and th- and there were a lot of issues I had with it. But then, kind of 
you know, having completed it and then having to talk with two guys who loved it, like um, really loved it. It forced me to think about that game in a way that I wouldn't do if I were of it and, and didn't like it. It forced me to really think about my arguments and my defense of my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is kind of linked into one of my favorite things about Kane and Rince is that kind of embracing of the subjectivity of art and not thinking of it as like, well, this is, and I know, I know people don't do this. Everyone's aware that their opinion is opinion, but there's something valuable about being confronted with some really like and respect who has a different opinion than you and not being able to dismiss a game as just, well, that's shit. Like not being, not being allowed to do that because you're staring, obviously in podcasts, you're not staring them in the face, but being directly (laughs) confronted with somebody who's arguing with just as much vigor and intelligence and and research that you are but they've just came to a different conclusion and they that being all right and that being something you can embrace and because and i don't want to say sound like i'm being dismissive here at the end of the day they are just video games and getting angry because somebody um Somebody likes something you don't opinion. like yeah. or hates something you like, I, I think is it, it's a waste of energy. <laughs> like, let's, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know where, what point I'm trying to make with that little rant there. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like on Dark Insight, we don't, like, we talk about uh, just video games in general. And, you know, this example came up yesterday of I Am Alive. Vader got it for free on some platform and played a little bit of it. And he was like, I don't think I'm going to go back to it because I didn't like this and the UI was that. Like, he didn't really, like, dig the game. But we weren't presenting that as this is a bad game. We were presenting that as Vader doesn't like this because he because of these couple of reasons and he's probably not going to go back to it. And there's those, those are two different things. Like, actually playing through a game and saying, okay, this is the reason this game doesn't work because of X, Y, Z. Like, that's presenting, like, not really a review, but that's an opinion that's based in a large amount of fact. Yeah. And versus versus just somebody saying, well, I played this game for 10 minutes and didn't like it. Yeah, exactly. All, all opinions are valid. Uh, all, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but an informed, informed opinion is always going to be more valuable. So, yeah, exactly. And that's why you get people getting angry about opinions, I think, because they, um, especially if you have a presence on the internet, like, um, if Gary says something bad about a game I like, like, I'm more inclined to want to, like, respond to that and defend that game, even though, like, games don't need defending. Like, they're, they're video games. <laughs> There's plenty of people and things out there that need defending that aren't video games. Mm. But for some, for Gary, I, that's a guy who I, I know pretty well, and that's a dude whose opinion I respect. So when he says something that I don't particularly agree with, I'm like, well, wait. And I think that people get tied up in that a lot, and that's what creates that echo chamber on the internet of people recognize the Kane and Rinses of the worlds or go like even huger, like to the IGN personalities and things like that. Like if Jeff Gersman says that Twilight Princess is a five out of 10, he gets all kinds of shit because everybody thinks that they know that guy because they watch, they absorb all of his content. Yeah. So they respect his opinion on a lot of things. And when they, when he says something bad about a video game that they, they, they like, they immediately like lash out, which is a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, 
just wish, in general, I wish people um, would kind of, this, this is a weird way of positioning it, but kind of get to know themselves better in that mm-hmm. understand why something appeals to you and understand that that's not true for everyone. You know, like, for example, um, oh, I'm trying to think of an example here. Like, um, uh, for me, like, sound design is really, really important to me above any kind of other aesthetic value you can uh, measure a game by. So nails that. Um, I notice myself being a bit more forgiving of other areas of the game. So the <laughs> the classic example is... Um, is uh, Bioshock Infinite, which I'm afraid to even bring up on this podcast just because of um, the kind of conversation around that game. But I, and here's the thing, I agree with most of the criticisms toward that game. If you want to, like, oh, oh, it, it mishandles the races, you know, the conversation, 100% agreed. Um, there's some weird, like, ludonarrative dissonance. I agree with you. But the sound design is so good in that game <laughs> that I am willing to look past that. Like, the, there's this moment where you're escaping um, uh, Elizabeth's prison and the music and the sound of Songbird and all the screeches and all the all of the sound effects are so perfectly in sync with in sync with each other that I'm like wow this is blowing me away from like an audio perspective and as much as I can take in those criticisms of Bioshock Infinite and 100% see where people's coming from a part of me is still going to like that experience because the audio is so good and Mm -hmm. That this is just my example, but I think everyone has an example like that. Everyone has like this is a measurement that um, of quality that that really keys into me, whether that be art design or just some kind of factor in game design, and it will make you more forgiving. And that's okay. That's all right as long as you can acknowledge what other people are saying and not get defensive and say yes, I agree with what you're saying. But I still like it because of these factors. <laughs> yeah. um, but the sound design is really good, y'all. I'm, yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone like that goes for just like any kind of media, right? Like, like yeah. there's movies that I like that I can watch over and over again that are probably other people's trash. Yeah. But like, I could watch Scott Pilgrim versus the World over and over and over again because that movie conceptually it just really works for me. Like, and I like the comics. Okay. Too. But like, I don't, I don't read the comics. Like I watch that movie. I understand everybody's complaint about that. Like, like there's a lot of people, things, things you can say about that movie, but for some reason, like it's just my comfort food, whether that's, you know, the music or the acting or, or what have you, like it just works for me. So, yeah. yeah, but I don't get mad when people say Scott Pilgrim sucks because Hey, they, mm. they probably think that and that's fine. Yeah. I think just, continue i i know we we need to move on but just uh put a cap on this conversation i think um i do get the impulse to uh defend a game that you love much more than i get the impulse to um uh kick someone's sandcastle over if that makes sense like when i mm-hmm. see people when somebody's um complaining about some game and somebody goes hey hey wait a minute what about this listen i've done that and and you know gary always gary always says like games don't need defending but i get the urge 
Um, what I don't, what I don't really have, I can't wrap my head around, is when somebody is expressing joy for something, when somebody comes up to them and goes, "No, you're wrong," and this, this, this. And I, I don't have a problem with people expressing a negative opinion, but it's when that that need to express it is kind of rooted take away someone's joy. Um, and I'm I, like, I realize I'm kind of making a straw man argument here, but I, I have seen it happen on Twitter several times mm-hmm. where someone is just going, Oh, I really love this. And then somebody goes up, no, you're wrong. Cause this is shit. And blah, blah, this is... and even if I agree with that, but even if I agree that shit, like I, there are games that loads of people of my friends talk about that they love that I think is shit. I don't go around, like, I don't harass them 24, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's just, (laughs) come on, like, let them have their... It's like, it's the same approach I take to religion. It's like, I'm an atheist, but whatever makes you happy, you know, <laughs> like life. Yeah, yeah. We all live on this planet for roughly 70 to a hundred years and then we die. Like, why are you arguing about something when it's making people happy? I don't, I don't know. But anyway, it, it, it's a lesson that I learned from, um, I came up on like, that came up, but like when I was in my early twenties and found like weird internet, yeah. like the internet's been a part of my life since I was like 13 and I'm an old guy. So like, that's like, you know, 1993 basically. Um, but like coming up on where you're kind of terrified to post, like when I found something awful and like realized like you could get banned at any time, like it yeah. makes you scared to post. So now when I'm on Twitter, it astonishes me that people just like willy nilly reply to people. And I'm like, no dude, <laughs> like that's not cool. You could get banned. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so when I see people say something like, um, I like Bioshock infinite sound design, my first instinct is not to be like, well, yeah, but, and then like explain a bunch of reasons why Bioshock sucks. But my first instinct is to be like, oh yeah, that dude likes Bioshock infinite sound design. And then literally just move on with my life. Yeah. Like, that's it. And I, I don't, I don't get the, I don't get the opposite thing. I don't get like, Hey, this person said a good thing about this game that I probably don't really care about that much. So now I have to say something bad about it to them. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, the sound design sucks, but have you, you know, what about the DLC? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. The same thing happens with No Man's Sky a lot. I happen to kind of dig No Man's Sky. Like I haven't played it in a while, but the game that I got was kind of the game that I got. And I was pretty happy with it. Like I had an okay time playing that game. But if I say the words No Man's Sky on Twitter, someone's going to, you know, at me and be like, well, you know, they lied and they advertised and they did this. And I'm like, yeah, but I I just had fun like mining for like, a week yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was all i needed and that's all i got so yeah 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 and and i'm you know yeah the the there are plenty of exercise a great one where like i i admittedly i haven't played it but everything about it sounds like it, it wouldn't appeal to me but that's a like because i can still i understand the i understand what's appealing to about it to people who like it um, and I'm, I'm kind of like that with Grand Theft Auto as well, where like I don't really like any of the Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto games, but I get it. Like I don't, there's no part of my brain going, I don't understand why somebody dislikes. I I do get it. It's just that 
I don't. I want to follow levels and um, and do authored content. I don't want to run around in a sandbox and and experiment and do this weird stuff. And I and also realizing that that's kind of a failure on my part as a player. It's like I just don't have the imagination to create my own fun. I want somebody to come and show me what the fun thing is to. <laughs> do um which is why i'm drawn to more like uh you know authored content like resident evil 4 or dark souls and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. yeah you know talking about like that kind of planned content like resident evil 4 and dark souls um i've talked to a lot of people about dark souls obviously for this podcast and one thing that keeps coming up is uh how comforting dark souls can be just because of that exact reason like there is no like you can make your own chaos in Dark Souls, but at the end of the day, like the levels are the levels, the enemies are the enemies. They're going to pretty much do the same thing every single time, and I I feel like that's one of the strengths of the game that it's very very static and very very planned, but all of the player agency is in like the build planning and the way that you approach it. Like to me, playing Dark Souls for the first time and like getting that first shortcut to Firelink Shrine from the Berg was an eye opening experience in level design and going like. Oh, I could just do. Oh, okay. <laughs> like all of that stuff is just fascinating yeah. to me, and I, you know, yeah. that really speaks to something like compared to Grand Theft Auto, where they give you a, like a yellow exclamation point and like, okay, go over there and talk to a guy. Like it's just such so tonally opposite that I, I, yeah, it's it really really works for me. <clears throat> do you find that as well when when you play the Souls games? Yeah, it just it makes the experience feel dense um, and. Um... It it does a better job of creating the illusion of a um, kind of living world that exists in you than um, I think a lot of open world games that kind of fit the mold of Grand Theft Auto do. Um, I think the the exception for me would be something like Red Dead Redemption, just because um, tonally that game is really different from the Grand Theft Auto series, and it's like the one and only Rockstar game that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, but um, yeah, there's just... Because um, stuff like that elevator and stuff... Uh, I don't know where I'm going with it. The <laughs> feeling of a hand, a feeling of a, a creative hand outside of your own, because in Grand Theft Auto, you're king of the the universe and the world kind of revolves around you and everything revolves around you. Whereas in Dark Souls, you feel like you're kind of discovering someone else's world, someone else's um someone else's hand that you know carved the landscape and 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 everything's built with purpose i think that's what that elevator that first elevator you're in can you know injects you with it's that feeling of this world actually um being connected and and everything kind of leading on from each other and not being kind of this distinct you know these really distinct play spaces where you go here and everything interconnects here but it doesn't connect to the larger whole um and i think that like you know talking about the soul series in general that's the thing that the first dark souls does better than every other entry and this is you know but i feel like that one aspect is where Dark Souls completely ellipses every other entry, is the feeling of every area being connected to this larger whole and everything building to this larger whole. Um, not just the um, um, the architecture and the landscapes, 
but the the narrative and and the way they place items in that game um it's just <laughs> i'm going into full um cells hyperbole but sorry jeremy I... no that's fine like even the way the multiplayer is justified in the game world like yeah. taking a game mechanic like invasions and summoning and things like that and then justifying it with like oh yeah you're not the only chosen undead there's like yeah. millions of chosen undead and they're all trying to do the same thing in their own world like that that kind of blending of mechanics and narrative is just endlessly fascinating yeah, to me yeah. <clears throat> and i really yeah, think I, it only works in that first game like i think you can't really say the same thing about bloodborne for example as much as i love bloodborne like some of that stuff doesn't exist as yeah. well i think bloodborne gets close but it, it's just not quite there because like it can't it can't justify the death of your character in the same elegant way that dark souls can and and it's such a shame that so much... I, I think we're kind of moving away from it now, but in the early days of the Dark Souls conversation, and, and, and it's the marketing continues this, is the, the focus on the game being difficult is not why people fall in love with this game, and it's definitely not why I fell in love with these games. Like, what, what bowled me over was because, like, I was playing Dark Souls and I felt like I was witnessing an experience that finally kind of leveraged everything that made games unique as a medium to tell a really mature, and I mean mature in the true sense of that word, and story. And not just, not just like, the titty uh, sense? Did they actual mature sense? Yeah, but like, <laughs> like wanting to explore philosophical ideas, um, ideas of like what's our place in the universe like what does it mean to exist in the world that we know is eventually going to end like how do you as a character react to that how do all these civilizations react to this idea that um you know the world is coming into an end and do they accept it or do they you know try as they might to fight against the inevitable it's just and all of it is told through cutscenes and there's one like there's the one concession to kind of the old way of telling stories in dark souls and that's at the very beginning with that one cutscene and then from that point onwards it throws you into the deep end and it forces you to engage with um systems that are unique to video games in order to express its narrative and that's just so impressive i even to this day even years on from playing the first Dark Souls. It's incredible, incredible to manage to achieve that. Mm. And there, and there are certainly other like I feel whenever I talk about Dark Souls um, achievements, I feel like I'm um, poo pooing games that kind of made those concessions to um, you know um, borrowing techniques from other mediums. Like I really love The Last of Us. Like The Last of Us is a great game. But a lot of its narrative strength comes from borrowed techniques, stuff that it's borrowed media from film or TV. And mm -hmm. to be fair to The Last of Us, as far as that kind of borrowed philosophy goes, I think it's probably the, the best of the bunch. Like the acting and the writing in those cutscenes is really top, you know, top class. Um but it's still not going to affect me as much as a piece of art that kind of embraces the strengths of its medium. And that's what Dark Souls does. 
It embraces, makes this medium stand apart from film and from TV, and it's just completely unapologetic about being a video game. Um, I, I love that it's not afraid to like it. It trusts the player a whole lot. Yeah, and it it and it very very much so plays with that like back and forth trust that a player has with a video game. Like at the yeah. start, it very much tells you like, hey, you're the chosen undead. You need to go ring the bell, like, and you need to go do the thing. But then you immediately get into the game proper in Firelink Shrine, and the game reverses all of that. The first guy you talk to is like, oh, you're no different. You're not special. There's actually yeah. two bells. <laughs> like, you, you, were, yeah. you already got the story wrong, and you're not even 10% into it. I yeah. love that it, that it trusts the player just to, to, to accept that. And not it doesn't have to like hand it to you on, on like a little silver platter or whatever. Like it, it actually trusts the player to like okay, we're gonna go, you're gonna come along with the story. You're gonna be a part of the story. Like we're gonna we're gonna go on this journey together, basically. Mm. Yeah, I always um, and this is gonna seem like a comparison um, at first, but I will justify it. But I always compare um, Dark Souls to being like the video game equivalent of The Wire. Um, even though they are radically different in terms of genre and, and style, like the, the wire is like an authentic crime drama that's exploring the political, um, problems of the now and dark souls is a very metaphorical, uh, philosophical fantasy game, but take a similar approach in terms of their relationship with the audience in that both the wire and dark souls do not give you anything for free like they do not like starting the wire is a bit of a struggle anyone who's like you know watched it will tell you season one is kind of like a trial by fire because it just doesn't explain anything it just expects you to pick things up through context um and the exposition is um but ultimately because they've taken that approach you feel like you're you're in a real world and eventually that approach pays off because you're so much more invested once you've picked up all those little things through context and um you know pieced the kind of political landscape of baltimore together um by yourself you're more invested than you would be if like at the beginning um there was a scene with mcnulty where they just laid out all that we're going to use for the rest of the season and and dark souls is (laughs) dark souls is the same like at no point does it stop and go right okay so um this is how gwyn links up with uh the first flame and the relationship between the three lords this is how they all figured like at no point does it do do that and because it doesn't do that you're more invested you care more because you figured it out or at least the community figured it out and you're amazed that that um there's and, a uh, there's a skit on and i can't remember where, where, where we saw this uh, we were watching something the other night and um this comedy skit of basically it was uh, a group uh, like a family gets together and uh yeah. like the the first conversation is well you know janice you remember when your uncle died and left all you left you all that money to the twins and we found out that one twin and it was and they just went around the room and just explaining everything that had happened to this family without showing any of it and i now that you say that, I very much yeah. want someone to make that video of Gwen talking to somebody and being like, yeah. oh, yeah, with Seath, you know, the story there is da 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 
Yeah, just before you fight Gwyn, he just explains yeah, everything you guys that just happened sit down before and talk he got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. Uh, where does... Does does Dark Souls 1 break down for you at any point? Like, do you have... <clears throat> because we've, we've, we've... I can talk about all of the good things with Dark Souls, like, all day long, but I'm curious where, where that game's weaknesses and, like... <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm, I have a bit of a cough today. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, like for me, some of the some of the stuff in the back end isn't as strong as the as the beginning, and I think it's when they start losing that when the world starts splitting apart. Like, do you have anything that you can look at and and, and view as a weakness for that game? I think uh, that there are certainly, I think there are moments of mechanical weakness in Dark Souls that I find, I struggle to forgive. Like, I I think the bed of chaos is. Um, a mechanical failure as a, a video. It's not difficult, like it's easy to defeat, but it's so uninspired when you compare it to every other uh, boss encounter in the game. And that whole area just mechanically feels a bit um, unfought out and and um, and not very polished. But even then, like even when Dark Souls is not showing its best colors in terms of um, mechanics like i still think the law of that area is really interesting the better chaos is as a piece of um um, of lore and storytelling like everything that quailana tells you about um the demon ruins and 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 isolith so to answer your question yes there, there definitely are moments where dark souls falls down but there's always something else that's you know keeping me going so even when I'm, you know, getting frustrated with all the butt dinosaurs in, in Lost Isolith, <laughs> like, I'm still invested in that play world. And, and it's it's interesting talking about, um, you know, the conversation around Dark Souls 3 is really, really fascinating because um, in a lot of ways, I think that game is mechanically really sound. Like um, that, some of the areas, if we're just talking about it from game design perspective, um, are some of the strongest areas in the entire series. But it ends the experience for me ends up feeling hollow because it doesn't have that um, thought when it comes to that law stuff. So mm-hmm. even so, even when like I keep, I know Lost Isolith and 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 that area is a famous kind of area to beat up on for the Dark Souls fan, but it, it, it's just worth kind of focusing on that. Even when like I'm struggling through the mechanics of those areas, I'm still overall really in love with the vision and the tapestry that Dark, the first Dark Souls was painting um, or weaving in the case of a tapestry. Sorry, <laughs> already, um, but. Um, with Dark Souls 3, even when it's at its highest moment, like, even when everything is kind of um, coming together mechanically and there's nothing I can complain about, ultimately I just come away feeling empty because it's not... It doesn't hang together as a whole piece. Um, and I think when we when we talk about disappointment with, with some of the... Dark Souls sequels. I think that's what people are uh, are looking at is that whatever weaknesses you can come up with in Demon Souls and Dark Souls. So for me, that would be Lost Isolith and uh, the 
I'm not a huge fan of the the Tomb of the Giants just because I think it's a little bit unfair. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever I can say about those areas, it still doesn't sap away from my kind of bird's eye view, view of the whole experience being this amazing thing and i could say the same thing about the same thing about bloodborne in fact um even though there are things in bloodborne that really frustrate me like um uh, what's it called frenzy frenzy is a complete failure like i hate <laughs> frenzy like i really hate it but i still think bloodborne hangs together as a whole piece really effectively whereas dark souls 3 i just for me it just doesn't like it it feels like um, a whole bunch of great ideas thrown together and none of them work really well. So you've got great yeah. pieces, but you don't have a great whole. Your episode of Bonfire Side Chat, I think, pretty clearly illuminated that. Um, like yeah. every time that you would find, in, um, for the listeners out there, Josh was on the Grand Archives episode of Bonfire Side Chat. Um, but you find so many things in the Grand Archives and I remember it, it, Gary at one point just being like, why is there an Isolith connection? Like, why do we have chaos here? Who knows? <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's to me is the ultimate failing of Dark Souls 3 is that it took that very meticulous kind of thoughtfulness about like where we're going to put things and how it relates to the world and the story and not just the mechanics. And they just kind of said, okay, we're just going to put stuff everywhere. I feel like whoever was responsible yeah. for placing items in Dark Souls 1 got fired from From after Dark Souls 1. <laughs> and I know that's I know that's a simplification. Like I know there's like probably 100 people that work on these games and like it's not just one person responsible for those things, but ever since Dark Souls 1, like they don't even Dark Souls 2 doesn't really have that. Like it just seems like things are just scattered because it's like you'd find stuff in random places. Um, and Bloodborne is, is similar. Like, you find notes around, but, like, where things are do- do- doesn't seem to, to matter. And by the time you get to Dark Souls 3, like, playing through the DLC and finding, like, a little secret path on the side, and it's the snowy mountain, and you go across of it, and, oh, it's a rusted coin. Like, it's so unsatisfying. And, mm. and you know, finding um, the black iron armor at the bottom of the uh, church with the rafters in, on, in Orlando, and the implication that... You know, Fat Tarkus, not Fat Tarkus. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I call him Fat Tarkus. That uh, Tarkus made it, you know, through Sin's Fortress and into Enerlando, but his armor was so heavy that he fell off the rafters. And just, you can make up that story in your head just because of that placement. It's so yeah. interesting versus anything else that Dark Souls 3 does with any kind of item placements or, you know, environmental storytelling. Yeah. And I, you know, the one aspect when when we talk about um art and how it's created the the one aspect that i think gets left out is how much of it is just luck um and dark souls is a bit of a the first one is a bit of a fluke um because from software like as much as we're going oh you know it's disappointing that they couldn't continue this from it should it should not it cannot be understated that From Software are a really, really talented bunch of people. Like they, they are, as far as I'm concerned, even with my disappointment with um, Dark Souls Three, ever since Demon Souls, they've been hitting it out of the park with every single one. Like Dark Souls Three, even though disappointing, is still one of my favorite games of 2016. That's how talented they are, and like Dark Souls, I think is kind of like just like it's an alignment of the planet situation. Like just everything came together with that game for whatever reason. And um, 
like that kind of masterpiece, that kind of thing where everything feels like so well designed, I think is kind of just right place, right time and all of that. Because, you know, Resident Evil 4 is another, wow, that game is such a brilliant example of like design on, on in every aspect. And and you think like well if you know Shin, Shin Megami uh, Shin Megami I'm talking about Persona here <laughs> uh, Shinji um, Shinji uh, Mikami um, if he and his team went off to make a ga- another game surely they'd make you know another equally brilliant masterpiece no like yeah. um, Shinji Mikami has worked on a number of projects and I've I've loved a number of them but none of them have been that you know that revolutionary for me and and same with you know dark souls but um yeah i i get i, I get I your like, frustration i just yeah yeah i like that you you mentioned like about them being such a good team like if you look at it um demon souls came out in 2009 which was yeah. you know seven years ago they've released five of those games since in seven years that's yeah extraordinary like that is just amazing to me because look how huge those worlds are look at the thought process that goes into it and then for everyone since except for demon souls they've released add-on content in between the games which is even crazier like dark souls 3 excuse me dark souls 2 had some of the best dlc that we've ever seen in games like period (laughs) like it was some of the most phenomenal content that they've put out across any of these games and that came out in between like that's just fascinating to me so yeah, when Absolutely. when I say something bad about Dark Souls three, it's in the context of yeah, it's still probably one of my favorite games ever, and that's why I talk about yeah. it so badly. Like, yeah, you know, like it's my family that I love that I criticize the most, right? Yeah, it's it's the A star student getting an A. Like that that's what it is. It's, yeah, that's what that's what compels us to be more critical. Is like, ah, oh, you could do better than this. Yeah. I've seen you so much you potential. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, one of the big things that you look for in games is the sound design. And I, I'm curious from that perspective, uh, which of these games is strongest for you just in terms of sound design, whether that's music or sound effects or voice acting or, or, or whatever, which one works for you the most? Um, I, I think if we're talking about music exclusively, I think Demon Souls is the strongest. Um, yes. I think the soundtrack for Demon Souls is really, really good. Um, but if we're talking sound design, as in the environment and the sounds of the creatures and all of that, I think Bloodborne's the winner for me, um, just because they all that kind of ambient hustle and bustle of beasties in the background and uh, people talking inside their houses, trying to, you know, stay safe from all the creatures. Um, yeah, for, for me, Bloodborne really nails that. And I think Bloodborne's, like, uh, Gary's going to um, glow, glow at me when uh, he hears <laughs> this. I actually think Bloodborne's soundtrack is really excellent as well, um, um, better than um, Dark Souls ones i I think stuff like uh blood um track um really kind of nails like this jaws uh theming for Mm -hmm. that creature um it 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 doesn't it has that same kind of incoming the violins in that track kind of create this feeling of um a threat coming towards you um and getting closer and closer that i think is really really effective um that having been that having been said 
Um, I do think that they're undesigned in, in the first Dark Souls that will always stick with me more than um, those two that I've mentioned. Um, the entire Artorius fight, um, I think, is a success in terms of sound design, both mm-hmm. in terms of music and um, just the screeches of Artorius and the oh, the roar he gives off once you've defeated him. Yeah. Um, that scream of like... <laughs> like pain and almost relief at the same time the fact that they convey can convey things with that screen is amazing um and i think the music it's not it's one of those examples of a track where you wouldn't listen to it as like a piece of music um on its own um i don't think it has a strong enough melody for that um the artorius track but as a piece of um atmosphere creation um, I think it's wholly successful. Like it just it it creates that feeling of sorrow um, for this creature, this feeling that this was a once great warrior and now has been reduced to this, and yet he's still kicking your ass. Um, <laughs> but um... the enemies talking back to you, I think, is is very very powerful. You mentioned that for Bloodborne, like the. Yeah that was the first game that like, you know, they were yelling at you as you were killing them. Like in the, the hollows and the, in the soul series generally don't say anything at all. Like they barely even make a noise. Sometimes you'll get like a grunt, mm. right? Like, a, but mostly it's just like, they're going to attack you silently. Yeah. Having the enemies actually, um, like, Oh, you, you I don't, still don't really even can tell what they're saying because it's kind of, has this, this weird finished. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damnable beast. Like all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it, that really works. And then when they do that in boss fights, you mentioned the roar that Artorias gives and like the kind of screaming at you. I think that's something that uh, really works in the Orphan of Cos fight and the Old Hunters DLC for Bloodborne. Yeah. yeah. The fact that that dude just gets yeah. madder and madder at you throughout the fight. And that's reflected in not only like the soundtrack to that fight, but also his screeching at you. And that's the only way you could describe it is he's literally just screaming at you the entire time drives up that intensity just to a degree that's almost untenable. Like, I think that's why people have problems with that fight. I don't think it's particularly mechanically difficult. I think it's just so overwhelming from an audio standpoint that people are like, ah, ah, because <laughs> it's, e- it's easy to do something and it's hard. <clears throat> but if you're someone, if you're trying to do that same thing while someone's screaming at you, it's going to be twice as hard. Yeah. I, every fight is designed to kind of like psych you out. Like he's so, feral and um uh, erratic and he has patterns and stuff but the animation makes him feel erratic um and and the sound i love i love the sound design for the orphan of cos because they managed to create something that feels threatening but also infantile at the same time which is exactly what you want for that character because because it's a baby, essentially, <laughs> and kind of like monstrous baby noise coming at you, um, like it's it's such yeah it's such a success of kind of conveying two ideas at once of conveying threats but or, or at the same time conveying character, um, and that's something. Um, Dark Souls really recently, um, I think, has gotten better with in their animation. Just talking about another aspect of games that I, I, that really appeals to me. Um, more of each game, um, the animation um, is getting better and better. Um, uh, for, like Artorias, for me, was kind of like the start 
acting point because the um the way he moves where they convey his injuries um and how one of his arms is useless and how he's having to use his weight to get the sword across and and stuff like that that's that's kind of the beginning of them being really masters of animation. And then you see that continued in into bosses like the Orphan of Cars and um, uh, Lady Maria. And um, I'm also thinking of uh, people like Sir Alon uh, as well. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and more recently um, in Dark Souls 3, the, um, the Prince's Fight. Um, I talked about it on Bonfire Side Chat, but like I think that is such a success of conveying personality and injury and and character through movement through character movement rather than just detail on their armor or anything like that absolutely yeah and it's man the you know you look at stuff that they've because dark souls one like you, you can you can look at some of those boss fights artorius is probably the best one out of the out of that game um but it, it's not until like Dark Souls three and Bloodborne that you start seeing their animation really, really get good. And like, not to use "get good" in that kind of colloquial way. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Um, but like, you look at something like uh, the the dancer of the Royal Valley and Dark Souls three. Like, they put that in the network test. So when you went into that fight, and like that fight still doesn't make a lot of sense to me visually. Like, I can I see what's happening, but I still like. I couldn't picture how the dancer walks, <laughs> right? Yeah, like it's just yeah. it's such a it's such a triumph of animation because it's so very other, and it still makes like it makes sense when you're seeing it, but it's still alien. And I think that's just um, um, like it's not based on humans walking, which is or monsters walking, or like it's not a two leg versus a four leg thing. Like it just seems weird and like I said, other like with a capital O. <clears throat> they've really, they, you're right. They've really gotten. Like you said, masters. They've become masters of that craft. It's yeah, yeah absolutely good stuff. Um, and part of it is um, is also kind of uh, technology catching up with um, animators' um, talents. Um, Extra credits um, run a great series, um, which I've unfortunately forgotten the name of, um, but focuses on uh, animation. It's basically uh, Neil Floyd taking uh taking you through some animation techniques um and using certain games as case studies and um like really recently with this kind of generation of um consoles you're really noticing some of the more advanced animation techniques that we've seen in film for ages and ages but now um you, we're seeing more and more in video games and overwatch is a great example of this because um overwatch uses the uh, uh, is it stretch and squash uh, technique um, like all the time like so much so more so than I've seen in any other game and, and I, I think that's kind of you know bled into other games that like um, I don't think there's uh, as much um, uh, squash and, and stretch in um, the Dark Souls uh, Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne but there definitely are examples of them um, using um, uh, weight in a way that they haven't used before, and and I I, I do think it it's I mean it's partly them getting better and better, mm. but um, I think technology is really advanced to the point where game animators are really getting to stretch their creative muscles a bit more, which is really good. Um, again, changing the subject, do you engage with the multiplayer aspect of these games at all? Um. Yeah, 
the most I engaged with it uh, was in Dark Souls 2, um, mm-hmm. mainly because um, the covenants in that game allowed me to engage with kind of like the supportive aspect of it um, more than any other. Um, and and also because with with um, uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls, um, I kind of came to those games really late. Um, so at that point, um, the multiplayer scene was just not as vibrant as it was. Um, I had the odd invasion in Dark Souls 1, but apart from that, um, you know, there weren't that many summons and... and um, and stuff like that. Whereas in Dark Souls 2, I was kind of there uh, day of launch on the PC. Um, when uh, The PC version came out later, but pretty much I was there day of, day of launch. And being able to see so many summon signs and so many um, opportunities to be invaded, um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to help people out with bosses. So um, for a lot of Dark Souls, like the first half of Dark Souls 2, um, I was playing the role of boss support, where I was just really helping people defeat bosses and like, don't worry, I'll distract him. You go over to the the crossbows <laughs> and and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed that role. Um, I really wish the um, what's it called? What's the police one called? The Covenant, where you're policing invaders. What's the Blue called? Sentinels? Yeah, the blue center. I wish that was fleshed out a bit more yeah. and worked more consistently because that's kind of my dream covenant of like coming to the rescue and and um, saving Dark Souls players from people like you, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> like, um, I, yeah, I, I really enjoy like I so with the later entries with Bloodborne and 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 this entry, Dark Souls Three, I have kind of left the multiplayer stuff on the wayside a bit but i don't like at no point am i thinking this game would be improved if it the multiplayer didn't exist i think it's really crucial that that feeling of i could be invaded at any minute i think is really an important part of the experience because once you've mastered an area and really understand the enemy's patterns and and um the layout of the level um, there's no, there's nothing that you can't anticipate in that level. There's, there might be stuff that um, you you're still struggling with, but you can anticipate it and plan for it, and, and you know what's going to happen. And the invasion mechanic just throws in that kind of that wrench in the work. So you're like, well, you didn't expect this, did you? Uh, like <laughs> some guy dressed up as the Grim Reaper with a huge scythe coming to get you. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And, and some of my, like, the most memorable moments in um, in the series are moments where randomly people have cropped, cropped up. Like one guy, and I hate that, I hate this guy. If you're listening to this and you did this to me, I hate you. I, re- I hate you with all my soul. Um, was, it was the bit with... Um, um, in on Orlando in the first game, um, where the it's the archers bit, uh, which is notorious, um, and I was struggling with that in of in of it, you know, in of itself, and this guy invades, and I'm thinking, oh, I better wait here, and he just like he's just standing there with this big shield, you know, where I'm you, the. Um, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, I want to say pillar, but it's not a pillar. Um, 
Um, oh man, I can't think of the word. The, the structure uh, that yeah, you the, have to the, run the, up. <laughs> yeah, it's not a rafter. It's a uh, what do you call those things? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I was feeling so stupid, but I'm kind of glad that you got yeah, um, it as well. But those in, those yeah, diagonal those things. concrete things that you mm-hmm. have to walk up. Um, uh, he was just stood there with his shield, and he wasn't coming to meet me. On on you know this area that I had designated as this will be our fight area. He's like, no, I'm just going to stand here. And I was like, really? You you re- are you just going to stand there where these archers are firing down at me, and you're just going to stand there? And that was his whole his whole mo was, um, I'm just going to stand here with my shield. You're going to run up, and then I'm going to shield bash you. You're going to. <laughs> you know oh no i i've been shield bashed and then an archer's gonna hit you and you're gonna fall off and the, and he and he did that to me three times because i died <laughs> he would come back again and do it again and and it was so aggravating and at some point like the third time he he did it and then i went back and he wasn't there but and and you know, amazingly, like after that, I managed to do the archers first time. So maybe it was this weird, like training in gravity situation where yeah. I needed him <laughs> to be there so that the archers were just uh, easy. But um, I, that was I on just... PC, right? That wasn't on 360. Yeah, that was on PC. Because uh, okay. um, and... if it was on 360, there could be like um, a pretty strong chance that that was me. So I just wanted to make sure it wasn't on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you I a take, video I in take, a little bit. I take back my comments if it was you. But like, yeah, yeah that, that, really, <laughs> that really stood out for me. Um, but then like all those moments where somebody invades and they're really polite, like that really sticks out in my mind as well, where... Um, this guy invaded me and he could see I was dealing with some guys at the time. And he just sat back and I'll, I'll wait. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to fight you. I was like, oh, cheers, man. Um, he didn't have the uh, civility of just going away. But at <laughs> least he kind of waited until I was more prepared to deal with him. And then we bowed like, you know, Dark Souls invaders tend to do now. We bowed and then we fought and I died still. But I appreciated the, you know, the politeness of like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to attack just willy nilly. I'm going to wait until you're ready. I've broken Um, into your home, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till you wake up before I start stealing your TV. (laughs) Is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I've smashed your window. Um, I'm in the door. I'm in the living room. I'm not supposed to be there, but yeah, yeah. Where do you, uh, where, what would you like to see from From Software? Like, uh, you know, they've got, I'm, I'm, I record these very early, so uh, hopefully they haven't already released, or hopefully they have released news, but they've talked about, you know, do, going back to our, the Armored Core series. They've talked about doing something weird in the Souls universe, I think. Very specifically saying that, you know, Dark Souls 4 is probably not going to come from From Software if it comes at all. Uh, what, what, when you see that stuff, like, where do you want to see From Software go as a game development studio? I think they've made a really wise decision to kind of um, leave Dark Souls behind them, even if it means that someone else carries it on. Um, just because I think that well is well and truly dry at this point and i think um i love i love the and like the anthology idea of those like going from demon 
Souls to Dark Souls to Bloodborne, I think is a more of trilogy than the Dark Souls trilogy is. I like that kind of, here's the mechanical philosophy, but we're going to show you a different world and a, a different storyline each time. I love that. And if one of the three projects they're working on is something like that, cool, I'm on board. Whatever that's like, I want them to really surprise me. Like, I don't want, like, people have, I'm open to the idea of a sci-fi Dark Souls, but honestly, I'd like them to be more creative than that. I'd like them to go, like, the boat out and and, and surprise us with a setting that's really unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but with those same mechanics, I'd be open to that. But also, and and the reason why I'm glad that they're working on three projects rather than just one, you know, Souls follow-up, is I just want them to really stretch their creative muscles and show us something we haven't seen before, like they did with Demon Souls. Like, really be as original, be as daring and 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 bro with demon souls like do something that people aren't going to expect and that may even mean abandoning the stuff that people love about the soul series that may even mean not making a hard rpg it might mean making a choice driven uh telltale game no i don't mean that but you know what i mean like <laughs> no I, kinda, I know exactly what you're saying not sticking just, to the roots just because the, the roots are there yeah yeah d- don't don't stick to something people said they like that and they like that the way you guys do that style of game you know, branch out, be creative. So I know I'm not really giving you a solid answer to this question, but my answer really is, I don't want to know what they're making. I want what they're making to be a complete shock. Like that I, it's so, it's so creative and and original that I can't predict it, that that, that they're just going to come out and I'm going to go, whoa, this is, this is really daring. And I'm liking where you're going with this. This is really cool. But if if there's one philosophy I want them to take from the Soul series and and continue to explore with all their games is that focus on embracing what's unique about the medium, and and these guys are better at doing it than literally anyone else. Like I think, um, Dark so- like Dark Souls is a testament to a developer just completely focusing on the medium strengths and. I hope that the, they're able to take that, apply it to completely different genres um, and not just the action RPG, where they could take it to, um, uh, to, I, you see, I can't think, but like, yeah, like turn-based you, strategy you, games or something. Yeah, yeah, like an RTS that has the storytelling structure of of Dark Souls or something like sure, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's just what picturing I want like in StarCraft, like you kill a Zerg and like something drops and like you pick it up and it's like this Zerg dates back from a like it has an item description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zerg used to be a, a little girl who lived in a village. <laughs> And then you, and then you discover the village, and then you you talk to her family in the knowledge that you killed her. Like it's just like, oh wow, Starcraft has got a really different direction. Yeah. <laughs> Blizzard, what's happening? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> well, Josh, thank you very much for being on the show. I, uh, this has been an absolute blast. I, thank you very much for coming on. Can you uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and all of the various things that you do there? 
Yeah, you can find me um, on the Cana Rinse podcast. Um, you can find us at canarince.com. Um, there we kind of take a game or maybe a couple of games and we analyze them and dissect them in detail. Um, you'll also find some blog posts and, and videos up on that site as well. Um, the other uh, younger podcast that's on the Canaan Rinse website is Sound of Play, um, where normally... It is just two people talking about music they love and then playing that playlist um, for the listeners. But then sometimes we have a bout of uh, insanity uh, during uh, holiday periods, uh, like the Halloween special that we did, where um, we just let Ryan, um, who's one of the Caterin's uh, team, just let him off the leash and go completely mad with the editing and 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 getting the great the voice actor for the great, great mighty poo to sing an opera <laughs> um like uh i didn't know he did that by the way <laughs> i was listening to the podcast going oh my god what has brian done um yeah, so that's really good as well if you're into your video game music. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, um, uh, at Combine Hunter, uh, where I talk about video games uh, and sometimes have uh, a breakdown about um, the modern world. Mostly um, video <laughs> games. <laughs> And I can I can definitely recommend all of those things. Um, I follow Josh on Twitter. I, follow, I listen to Canaan Rents. I listen to Sound of Play. All of those things are, are very very good. I mentioned this at the very beginning of the show, but finding I was kind of peripherally aware of Canaan Rents, but um, especially once I started uh, like having a bunch more British friends on Twitter, uh, and then actually starting to listen to it and I started from the very beginning and just totally blown away and very glad I found that in 2016 because if I'd found that at like four or five years ago I would just not be I wouldn't I would have never thought to do a podcast I'm mean, like these guys got it <laughs> I don't need to do anything <laughs> these guys have perfected the medium I don't need to do anything I'm not bringing anything new to this so can highly recommend all of these things I, I'm just to say Jeremy like um because this is the first time we've spoken, isn't it? Like it is. Uh, yeah. Over pop- mm-hmm. yeah. Just to say, like I am hugely impressed by your work as well. Like um, Days for Future, Days of Future Cast is hilarious, <laughs> and it's bits <laughs> of my podcasting schedule. And um, I am looking forward to the further conversations about that amazing, stupid, brilliant awful show that you guys have decided <laughs> to do a podcast on. It's, I have it's to say uh, that's probably like the funniest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like that's there's something about just talking about the X-Men with Gary and we play off each other really well. Like not, not to toot my own horn or anything but like I in editing that show I have to listen back to it a lot and like end up laughing like the other day I was listening to it just to make sure something sounded good and Gary made a joke and I laughed along with myself as I was listening to it like the same exact way and everything like thank you very much for the kind words but yeah I, that, that show is just I don't know how it's so funny like it's so good I, I, lo- I love recording it the uh yeah. we have one coming out very soon on the uh the first X-Men movie and that was a lot of fun to record so cool 
Um, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can follow me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at DGUS Podcast. You can also email me to come on the show like Josh did. Um, Josh didn't email me, but <laughs> you can you can email me to come on the show. Send an email to DGUSpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I appreciate all iTunes reviews and you know, telling your friends about the show. If you know someone that you think would be good for the show, let me know. I'm always looking for a new guest. Um, and remember, don't give up, Skeleton. And we're good.